from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the Jack and Spike Show. Welcome back to the Jack and Spike Show. There's a Washington proposal that would allow biometric ID for alcohol purchases. You're not going to get me this time, Matrix. I'm going to be getting my Chivas Regal the old-fashioned way. A reversal of fortune is concerning, excuse me, concerning book banning in Washington State. Finally, we can get rid of all them books. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that's the story. The, the devil works his way into your heart and in your mind through the written word. Before we get to all that, though, the UW program is trying a unique approach to help older adults with depression. Now, I have suffered from depression almost the entirety of my life because I was raised by a very damaged people who then went on to pour their poison and vitriol into my soul. And so then I turned to the warm embrace of drugs which only made my depression worse for about 10 years. And then finally, I said at the ripe old age of 28 years old, I said, you know what, gosh darn it, I'm going to get it together and I'm going to make something with my life. And then still suffered horrifically from depression until still to this day. No, it's still a thing. <laughs> wow. Never, never really went away. I'm sorry to laugh, but I didn't <laughs> expect that to stay either. I like, did not. Well, I make a children's book and put this in a school. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is something that I, I learned about uh, depression is that depression is actually your buddy. That, that's your little friend that you got there. Real, yeah, it's your friend, right? Depression, you got to think about it. This is the way that I've recontextualized it in my mind, and it's okay. worked fantastically since I had this realization about six years ago. Now, I suffer from what's called a clinically resistant depression. There is no SSRI. There's no transcranial stimulation, no electroshock therapy, nothing short of a lot of meth and heroin is going to make me feel good about myself consistently. That know? didn't work either. <laughs> that didn't work Where either. Where do you go from here? So what I what I learned is that my depression is actually my buddy, and that's he's my buddy who says, you don't got to go to work today, dude. You can hang out today, and you don't even have to shower, my guy. Like you, we can just lay in bed for like the next like seven or eight hours, and then like we'll get DoorDash, and like you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. And then I have to say, Nah, dude, I got to I got at least I got at least go to work today. That's I. That's what I. I know that you're trying to help me out right, right now. Right, by you're backing me. You got my back. You got my back, buddy. Uh -huh. But what I'm going to do is I got to go to work, and if I go to work, I got to take a shower, right? And mm. so that means I have to do these things. You have to recontextualize. So whatever my depression buddy wants to do, I do the opposite. Does that make sense? A perfect sense, So yeah. depression buddy says, hey, man, why don't you just get like you know, those big pints of tapioca from, from Whole Foods? Why don't you just get like seven or eight of those and just eat all those all day while you watch uh, reruns of uh, <laughs> Maury Povich, <laughs> Maury Povich or whatever, right? Like or watch old YouTube videos of when Bob Barker was the host of The Price is Right. Oh, and I got to go. This is what I got to do. I got to go. That's a great idea. But I also need to do this today, right? Okay. So what, I, okay. it's not antagonistic. It has to be relational. Ooh, Does that make sense? Yeah, I, get, I get where you're going now. Yeah. I don't hate it. I use it. And so because of that, when you change the context of the relationship that you have with depression, all of a sudden it becomes a discourse rather than this burdensome or onerous entity where you say to you, where you are convinced that that's what you need to do that day because you don't feel good. Now every day of my life, I do, I wake up and my first thought is, well, today's a good day to die, and then I have to think to myself, well, if I can do one thing today that helps somebody else, 
maybe I can put this off for another 24 hours. Okay, that's that's a healthy way. Just baby steps. Baby right? steps okay. every single day. And then by the end of the day, you realize, hey, you know what? We'll do it all again tomorrow. And won't it be so much fun? That's the way you deal with it, right? You actually have to put action into into it and have a relationship with it as opposed to viewing it as, I got to get, I got to be happy all the time. I got to beat be, this. Right. You know what real happiness is? I practice yoga, you know, really long on the weekend. Spike, you know this because I, I, I call you afterwards and I yell at you. Um, I had this moment like two weeks ago, did this great yoga practice. Look out the window. It's raining. I thought to myself, perfect. Per this one moment right now for the next however long I can enjoy right. it is perfect. And then ding, I get a text message from Billy Sunshine and the world comes back in and everything goes away. But for that 15, 20 seconds... Absolute perfection, and that's what you aim for, right? That's what you try to achieve. Not the whole day, I'm happy-go-lucky, nothing can bug me, because that's just not realistic, right? I'm with you, uh, and I like the fact that you've you've named your little depression buddy. He's my buddy. You named him Spike, which I thought was appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but And you're not afraid of him moving out and giving up on you? He's no, always going to be there. He's never moving out. He's always, never going anywhere. So and like so, a bad roommate, you can't wait to leave behind in your house every day. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So people always say, Jack, why do you wear a tie every day? Because depression says, don't wear a tie. And I go, you know what, depression? I appreciate you saying don't wear a tie, but I'm going to be wearing this tie today. Oh, interesting. When, right? when you're not wearing a tie, does that mean the depression one? Or No, that's when... <laughs> That's what I when I don't wear the tie. That's just I was too lazy to put on a tie <laughs> okay. that day. But okay. the, the the thing is, is that I I just don't think that people have the right context when they are depressed and how to navigate with it. So they view it as this huge wall of emotions. How do I pot? Oh, I'm so everything in my life is so terrible. Yes, so is everybody else's. What you have to figure <laughs> out how to do is to how to be present with your own suffering okay. and then the suffering of others, and then magically. All of a sudden, your suffering is no longer as big and yeah, as burdensome. But a lot of people don't have the power of empathy to appreciate that others are also suffering. I mean, you've got a nice leg up on things. You've got an open worldview. Yeah, you got to work on it. You do. Some folks have a difficulty even working on themselves, let alone interacting with other people. The study that's in the Seattle, mentioned the Seattle Times, a story about the, the seniors and uh, a program that's helping seniors over 60 who are dealing with depression more so than ever in our lifetime. Between the pandemic and the economic struggles, the fact that we're living longer, we have parents that are still alive sure. in our 60s. It's called Do More, Feel Better. Yeah, that's it's a the program. Idea. And it's basically, the, and, and it's a psychological study being done by the University of Washington saying that. Well, let's bring it down a little bit. You have a counselor or a series of counselors and they check in with you and they see how much activity that you're doing throughout right. the day, basically. Right. And, and no activity leads to greater depression. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Right. People need to break out of. Right. And all too often, I think that people try to, they convince themselves if I eat all this food or if I just sit right. around all day, then I, that's going to make me feel better. But isolating with and withdrawing is what your buddy wants you to do. That's, he wants you to be alone exactly. with him, right? So you guys can just hang out all day, play Modern Warfare, not go to work, just play video games. But you got to say, no, dude, nope, no, not, not, today. not today, my <laughs> friend. So this is a good program. It's it's a nine-week program. Coaches, they, they help their clients uh, create a game plan for how they go about their day. Uh, you know, I, I know some people who... They've tried everything, and the one thing that really worked for them was having a plan 
that they implement when they are feeling emotionally unwell. Like right? a, a schedule that they have to adhere to, a, a commitment. Not have to, or, but okay. guidelines. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So for does. me, it's like I have to shower. That is like a that is okay. a, an, an unbeatable because if I don't, that's going to start the the stepping down. Right. right. Then you and, and your buddy smell the same. Right. And you got more in common. <laughs> right. Okay. And makes I, sense. I have to eat something, but right. it's not going to be a Reese's fast break for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's going to be you know uh, kimchi and eggs and whatnot, right? So it's kind of like you either make the choice to go up or down. Good for you. You then have to implement it. Jacob, you picking up what I'm... Jacob's never depressed. Jacob just walk around laughing all day because he's got a girlfriend or whatever that is <laughs> in, down in Portland <laughs> I who, was... who he won't introduce me to, by the way, for some strange and odd reason. <laughs> Jacob. you're so cheery. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just fantasizing about, yeah, Reese's Fast Breaks is all I was... Yeah, that's my main takeaway. So that was my... That I was like a, one. a staple of my diet when I was deep into drug addiction. Really? Oh, oh, yeah, the Reese's Fast Break. You get everything you need. Sugar, yeah. sugar, and sugar. Everything <laughs> you need. major food groups. When you're a heroin addict, can that's I, all you need. Can I tell you that I, I've I've never f- had dis- issues with depression, and I and it was really difficult for me for the longest time to understand mm. people who had depression issues. Why can't you just snap out of it? Well, because you I got was that, one of those guys. You got you that know? Phineas Gage thing where you had a rail go through your brain, and now right, you don't have it. Right? That's what it was. Yeah, you're just walking around. You had a drumstick go through your brain during a White Snake concert in '93, and now you're. Happy all the time. Happy all the time. Never not happy. So there's this Washington proposal that would allow biometric ID for alcohol purposes. No, I'm not going to do this. Uh, it basically it's you use your palms as a form of identification when you're purchasing like, like a handprint metric thing. Yeah. So Amazon has been doing this. Whole Foods has been doing this. Really? Where you attach your card to your or your ID oh, oh, to like, your like they have the stadium with Amazon Pay. Yeah. Oh, Amazon Go. Right. Okay. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You're not going to get my bio ID, Feds. You're not going to get it. That's my bio ID. Because so, if it goes into a database and then it's on the internet, we if can't we, trust those people. If we, can't, if we can't trust, like uh, people's bank accounts get hacked all the time, people's debit cards get hacked all the time. You're telling me now that you want me to do a Men in Black beep boop beep boop, and then I get to buy booze? No, or, thank or you. Or you show up for a bottle of beer and you got an eyeball on a stick. Yeah, because this eyeball is twenty two. Be like Minority Report, right? You know what I mean? Where he's what, what's <laughs> what's the need for this? Or have have fake IDs gotten so good? No, it's that just, we need biometrics now to keep kids from getting drunk. My, my assessment is that somebody is lobbying the liquor and cannabis board, who is a proprietor of this specific Technolo- technology. Yeah, okay, and the liquor and cannabis board is more than happy to roll over and say, "Yeah, I've got stocks. I mean, an interest in yeah, your in your who company." Wants kids drinking and smoking. Right. Nobody does. Nobody does. The, especially not my stock portfolio. I mean, my family. Matt Markovich in the studio. Speaking of, by the way, you know, I listened to that argument at the legislature about that bill. About the, about the uh, metric ID. Yes, bill? yes. And so the, the the whole idea of using your thumb and buying a beer uh-huh. that's so far away. It's more the realistic thing is that they'll use a bouncer will use a phone with an app on it, look at your ID and see if that picture is really you on that picture. They'll it's more of a photo enhancement right now. In, in reality. The whole thumb on you, putting your thumb down for or, a beer. Or, or, the, that's or the not, op- optical scan. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's more, the first step would be you looking at your photo ID okay. on your... I just want to go back to the 70s where like, it just, if like a 12-year-old wanted to go buy a six-pack, it was like, yep, there you go. You know, remember like Dazed and Confused? Remember the that scene? The pregnant teenager? Right. Well, eat some vegetables every day. Remember to eat, some, remember to eat, <laughs> eat a green thing eat every right. day. <laughs> I just want to go back to those good old days because when I was a kid, this is a the tail end of when they stopped having cigarettes and when I was very young this is when they stopped having cigarettes in, in vending machines yeah. and restaurants 
it never crossed my mind to go up to one of those and put 50 cents and get a pack of cigarettes, right? But I'm just saying that it was a simpler time. It was an innocent time. Speaking of Matt Markovich, lawmakers in the state house have passed a bill that essentially bans the banning of books, which I'm deeply disappointed by because reading is the devil's work. And it's going to focus on uh, what you were telling me is a protected or marginalized people. Right. But then the thing that concerns me is that they can ban books that attack said marginalized people. And that is not good at all. We can't be inconsistent with our book banning here. We're not the Nazis. It, either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it, right? Right. Well, you know, this is all response to the book bans that are happening in states like New Mexico, New Jersey, Colorado, Massachusetts. They're in the process of legislating book bans. Right. So the Democrats uh, in this legislature, this is we're t- talking about the House here, they passed on a partisan vote, all Democrats voting yes, all Republicans. Republicans voting no in favor of this ban on banning books that protect marginalized communities like the LGBTQ community. It's real specific about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the definition of what is discriminatory or what is a group is all codified in state law about race, religion, pre- sexual preference. Right. So it's a big Big category of marginal groups. So you, what it's going to do is prevent local school boards from creating a policy to restrict books on themes of people in a legitimate protected class. But like Jack said, you can still ban books if the book attacks a, project, uh, a protected class. Right. And the one last part about this bill that you should know is – well, like with obscenity and things like that, a lot of people say it's a local decision. The local school board should make this decision on what books should not be in their curriculum. Just looking at the teachers, the local teachers working with the local parents. Um, but this would have the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, the state officer, a partisan position, decide what kind of books it could down to, what kind of books can be banned and not, and set the criteria up. So it's the state coming down on all local school districts. From up high, this is what you have. This is what you can and cannot do on these books. And a lot of the Republicans said, well, if we're going to have to have this, let's leave it up to the local school board. Right, because communities vary tremendously from eastern to western Washington or from rural to, to, to cities. Mm-hmm. They really do. And what's what's commonplace or accepted in Seattle is a far cry from what Walla Walla is looking at, or not because the representative from Walla Walla spoke to the story. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. more concerned about the like the inconsistency of this because either we're not book banners or we are book banners. I, I, and, I'm and with you. This there. is saying that. So there's lots of books out there that that are difficult reads. You ever heard of the Turner Diaries? Yes, yes. Right, that's the book that inspired uh, the the T- Kaczynski to go out and and the Oklahoma City bomber. Um, that book was banned after that. And if you read that book textually, one, it's awful. The author was basically an illiterate Nazi. But then the other part of it is, it's important to read that book in the sense of you need to understand the ideology and the philosophic framework that modern-day white supremacists have. And unfortunately, that book is just rife with racial slurs and ethnic slurs and is all about Jewish conspiracy, so on and so forth. But textually, in order to understand why people think that way, that book should be available to people. Now, I don't think you can even buy it on Amazon. I think you have to get you have to download a PDF off the dark web in order to read. And everyone's like, "Oh, if you read that book, you're going to turn into a Nazi." No, not really. It's it's an awful book. But point being, there is this weird thing that we have where we view certain literature as being dangerous. But as someone who comes from academia, it's important for us to have access to books and, and titles that are 
that challenge or challenging or difficult or just flat out wrong. Right? Where, do you, where do you come down on parental control about what their kids have access to? Because that's kind of the biggest argument that parents who are opposed to various books about protected communities. Well, we obviously, yeah, we need to assimilate children into the Borg and rip them away from their parents, Spike. You know this. We no. need to take them away from their... Don't say it out loud. Children need to be... Of course parents should make a call based on what you know, books their kids but, have access to. Okay, but then should parents be uh, be able to make the call what other parents' kids have access no. to? No. That's what gets me. Yeah. If you want to not have your kid read this book, I can understand that. Right. Get involved with your school board. Get involved with your school itself. Your librarian. Right. The, the element in here is kind of a sexuality element. I right. think that because there's a lot of protected classes out there that don't have the sex part involved, whereas the LGBTQ community, that's a vital part of their identity is how they became who they are. Right. And so what a lot of the Republicans were saying, you know, these books do talk about sex and relationships to the LGBTQ Often community. Often in graphic details. Yeah. And, and so where does that cross the line into sexually explicit material? which people have a problem with. So that's the line that we're that the, right. that they're trying to address here specifically with this law. I've always thought that like some of the best material that I ever got and in my just development as a thinker was material that was kind of just outside of my age appropriate range. Sure, because to stretch your boundaries. It cuz it yeah. really challenged me yes. to think about things in a different way. I think all too often we shelter children but then we also expose them to things in the wrong way. Does that make sense? So, so I would rather have a child read something that is provocative rather than watch an Ice Spice music video. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do hear I would, you there, buddy. I'm, I saw some of that this weekend. I'm I like, what am I looking at? I here? would rather chat with my kid about something that they read that was emotionally difficult than having them watch, I don't know, an Ice Spice music video. Right. When, when, <laughs> when, when, when we ban books because parents are uncomfortable with it, kids have kids are going to seek this information. Right. I'll, I'll give kids are going to seek validation of who they feel that they are. I'll give you another example. I would rather have my kid read a book that was written by an LGBTQ author where they talk about their experiences developing rather than watch a little Nas X music video where yeah. he slides on a pole down to hell and then gives the devil, the devil a lap, lap dance. dance. Uh, um, Spike and I remember film strips back in our day in yes, class. You betcha. <laughs> Maybe that's what we oh, <laughs> go yeah. back to that. Good old uh, 36 millimeter. Thanks so much Mr. Markovich. We appreciate it. For Gen Z... An age-old question, who pays for dates? Now, we talked to Laura about this with Francisco when he did a huge taboo in who pays for dates. But this continues to be a question. Should we go Dutch? Should we get rid of gender entirely? Is this the downfall of our civilization? We'll talk about it when we get back right after this. I weep at every Disney movie. Or based. Um, nom, 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 nom. I gotta wreck this for everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm surviving too soon. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Justin. Cringer Base, fun game we like to play every day, 134, where we try to determine if a cultural event is cringe, meaning uh, or based, meaning ah, yes. So, should men pay for dates? The age-old morning radio hacky question that's been debated and thrown around for so many years that I refuse to engage in because it, it makes no sense whatsoever because the framing is entirely wrong, my friends. We have been duped through years of discourse, whether it's on Good Morning America or whatever hacky morning radio show is out there that where that one lady who's the producer who's like, men should always pay for the dates. And the guy's like, oh, 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 that we need to get away from this framing. 
And the truth of the matter, the real question is, is who is the real romantics between men and women? All too often, people like to say women are the romantic gender. Women are the romantic sex. This is wrong. This is a falsity that has been perpetuated by big woman. (laughs) Big woman. I like it. Men are the romantic gender. Really? Men are the romantic sex. And we have been lied to and lied to, and I will prove it to you today, fundamentally. Spike has nothing to say because his internal feminist is screaming right now. I'm just wondering who's going to pay for lunch today. (laughs) Okay, so... So we, I, my, I guess my question is, if the men are the more romantic... Does men that mean, are objectively more romantic than women in every single way, shape, and form. Thus, we should be paying for... Exactly. Okay. Exactly okay. my point, which is that men are the true romantics, whereas women believe that they are the true romantics, but women are the true focal point of intimacy. Not just necessarily sex, but intimacy, right? So men are romantic... Women are intimate, right? And I'll break it down for you. Jacob, don't look at me like you're all skeptical. I'm, just, I'm waiting. What for are you, you doing? To, yeah, yeah. Well, you're, just, you're doubting me right now. I'm you're just, throwing me off. I, I trust that there's. You're going somewhere with this. Okay, yeah. Of course I am. So think about it like this. I walk into a restaurant. Let us just see. I just, let's just say I see a, a young woman there, and she's the waitress, right? And I, I happen to. She strikes my fancy. I ask her out on a date. I pay for the date. Let's say that I pick her up. I also pay for the movie, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the one who initiated. I'm the one who enacted. And I'm the one who prepared all of this stuff for us to engage in, right? Mm-hmm. Make sense? Sure. Let, let's say that that woman who's a waitress, let's say she's making $7.25 an hour. Doesn't make any, any difference to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. She strikes my fancy. I find her to be interesting. I find her to be engaging. Okay. I find her to light my fire, as Jimi Hendrix once said, right? <laughs> uh, you turn around. Would a woman go to a guy who works at McDonald's and say, ah, yes, he strikes my fancy. So I'm going to go up to him and I'm going to ask him out on a date and I'm going to go pick him up and I'm going to plan what restaurant we go to. And then I'm going to take him. Do do women do that? No, they don't. Right. They don't do it. Not intrinsically. It doesn't even cross their mind. Right. Okay. You have to be the one who talks to me. You have to be the one who initiates it. And you have to be the one who sets expectations as a man. And as a man, we do all of that perfectly we do it perfectly every single time right that's okay. my argument that i made okay <laughs> hasn't been my experience perfectly? yeah but okay this is well, a, you're, this, you're is, confident this guy. is your guys's internal like feminist whatever sure, you want to tell yourself <laughs> they're, that guy? they're saying don't don't fight against jack on this issue because it's gonna make <laughs> you sound like a misogynist men are the true romantics this is objectively true if if men if a man and a woman are fighting mm-hmm. what does a man do wants to make up with his wife or girlfriend what do we do we apologize and we do what Buy them something. Well, we get them flowers. Sure. We get them Take a gift. Them dinner. What Jewelry do, what, if you're really What do up. you get from your wife or your girlfriend? Does she does she bring you a nice set of socket wrenches, Spike, every time you guys get into an argument, you and the oh, truly unpleasant no. Mrs. Oh, no, not a bit. Exactly. Not a a, men are the real romantics. I have thought about this, <laughs> and the second that I had this realization, it blew my mind. We do everything for women. For what? In exchange for what? Intimacy. Not necessarily sex. Intimacy. Mm-hmm. And we get it. Men are the romantics. Women are the intimate ones. Right. That's the way it breaks down. I mean, makes- you're you're not trying to be biologically essentialist about this. these are just societal scripts. These are societal scripts. These are not. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. not innately biological. You're saying that the the, the conventional gender stereotype exactly. of men is that the, those are the romantic gestures, and the men are largely assigned doing them. I what I'm saying is that we have been conditioned to believe that women are the true romantics in any uh, uh, relationship setting, and that is simply a lie, and it is not true. So. 
even though we are the ones, as you point out, that are carrying them out, when they are depicted in the media, we don't we don't care about other men doing them. Does that make sense? Like, I think that why why women are being perceived as the romantic is that they're the ones that appreciate these gestures. They're the ones going out to watch movies where that is the the plot mm-hmm. is about men doing those things, but mm-hmm. men don't care about other men doing them. It's for women, and women appreciate them being done and hearing about it being done. Right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. So I think I, that's why it gets confusing. If I if a guy told me about his the okay, think about a man's proposal. Yeah. It's what do guys do? They get down on one knee and beg. <laughs> they beg, right? And they do, they, do, they do it to such an extreme that they plan it out for weeks, sure. if not yeah. months, yeah. right? Well, well, because and then they pick the perfect location to do it, and they usually get a photographer or one of their buddies to film it. Men are objectively more romantic than women. A woman would have never thought of that. I'm going to get down on one knee in front of a dude and beg him. Please. Why, why do most men do that, though? Because that is the expectation of the romantic woman. They want it to be perfect. It's got to be, i got to yeah. make her happy. It's got to be the perfect setting. I've got to have music. There's got to be a view. I've got to get down on one knee. Because the woman's expectations are there. You know, are men more conquest-driven and women more security-driven? Do women look at relationships for forever? Isn't that romanticizing it? No. No. Men create the conditions for women to be romantic. We make the conditions for women to engage in romantic activity. In, I'm just talking about in heterosexual relationships. Okay, right? well, well, of course, we, these days with gender fluidity. Re- and, no, I understand you know, what you're saying. Who can say who's more more? More often romantic. than not, every time I see like a gay wedding proposal, they both have the ring at the same time. Have you guys ever seen oh, this? Yeah. It's like that's it's classic. Like, it's like a weird gypsy curse or something like that. Where like every time <laughs> a woman and a woman want to get married, they're like in front of the, the magical kingdom at Disneyland, and one of them gets down, and the other one starts crying, and then the other one takes out. But it just I just erupt into tears. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. Do heterosexual couples has that ever? happened Never. in the history of the universe where a woman takes a oh i got you a ring too never not once men are objectively more romantic than women you cannot debate me on this i actually think it's that's i actually think that's changing i think there are more examples of women proposing to men lately and i i i don't disagree necessarily with your broader premise but i do think that there are among as as spike suggested uh, among the the fluidity that we're experiencing broadly that that's among them I think I'm objectively right about this, well, and I think that I've thought about this so in such depth that I've like worked myself, <laughs> I've entrenched myself into my ideology, and I refuse to well, be challenged I, on it. I, I would, I wish you were the standard for male attitude, but I, I can honestly, say I don't think that you are. I think you're an outlier in that you are, you are a romantic. Because I'm divorced. I'm not because you're, you're romantic. Because <laughs> you're romantic. Uh, I, you know, I think a lot of guys don't bother with romance. That's not true. Uh, but, I, 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 it hasn't been my experience that everybody's as thoughtful and concerned as you are. Men go to great... Look, okay, Jacob got on a train to go see his girlfriend in Portland. When was the last time she came up here, Jacob? She's here right now because oh, she whoops. took a train. <laughs> Good lawyer always knows the answer before he asks the question. Whoops. We've been very reciprocal uh, with the train riding, really. These days, Jack. She probably should have... No respect for tradition. Probably should have prepped Jacob on the best way to answer that one. Happy pre-Valentine's, hey, everybody. happy pre-Valentine's, everybody. All right, we'll take a really quick break. When we get back, no stupid questions. Got one from 602. James Nate in Seattle wants to know about my... My, my theory about labor and then 253 made me mad said what is the value of labor give me a number this is uh this is all interesting interesting rhetorical yeah. devices that uh, make me judge people but i shall be observing jacob get the be nice <laughs> yeah. get the be nice right. drop because i might get a little unhinged when we get back right after this <laughs>
There are no stupid questions. There are only stupid answers. Ah, yes, no stupid questions. The time where we get to answer questions from the audience because I don't look at the text line because I am working and texting while working is a crime in these fine United States. You can text us at 888-973-5476. Duncan from downtown asked a question which I, I feel compelled to answer, or rather my ego feels compelled to answer, because I, I admitted to everybody that over the weekend during the Super Bowl game, rather than pay attention and have my soul sucked away from me, I was haggling with a guy in Florida who uh, has a base that he built that I was trying to buy from him, and I I did buy it. And Duncan from downtown says, Jack, now that you've switched from guitar to bass, do you still use a pick? It take, takes months of calluses on the fingers to properly play bass. I'm a, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, Spike. I, uh, I can play multiple instruments. I don't switch from one to the other. I have talent of all kinds. On the old, I like to tickle the old keys. You ever uh-huh. tickle the, tickle the ivories? Yeah. You tickle the old ivories. I can do that. Nice. I uh, can do a little bam bam on the old drums. I can okay. play guitar. I, I can play bass. So like the prince of midday broadcasts. I try to be. Do yeah. I use a pick though? It depends on what I'm recording. It depends on what I'm writing. But generally, I prefer picks uh, over the uh, the fingers because I like to play a little bit faster. But that's besides the point. Uh, what's one that, that got your interest here, Spike? I, oh, actually, you know what? Before we do that, sorry to cut you off, Spike. Six oh two says, "Hey, Jack." <laughs> Love the depression, buddy. That was my thing about how to cope with depression. If you want to go back and listen to that segment, you can do so wherever you find fine podcasts. He goes, I have an um, imaginary anxiety dog. Since anxiety is just heightened flight or fight flight mode, I imagine my anxiety to be a big, sweet, dumb dog that's trying to protect me from my friendly neighbor. So I have to explain to him that it's okay and I'm safe and he's just being dramatic. And then I get a tiny bit happy because I'm thinking about a dog. That's so sweet. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. When you when you have an emotion, it helps to personify that emotion and discourse with that emotion, which is what uh, child psychologists teach children how to do. But we, uh, being that we grew up before all this science was uh, invented, as as uh, millennials and boomers and Gen Zers or, or Gen Xers, we don't necessarily have a simple extension of the imaginary friend. Your depression buddy. It's. I know that it's not real. It's just like a disco. No, no, I understand. No, I, I know imaginary friends aren't real. Yeah, I got I'm Hank done. back at the apartment. All he wants me to do is sit around all day and eat Twinkies. Exactly. Ow. I know it's not real, Spike. Come on now. Uh, so, Can we, I, with James, what you asked what struck my fancy, and I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, James and Paul says, "What about pornography? Books that happen to support." A protected class talk about pornographic Mark, talk about, nature. Yeah, talk about yeah. Markovich's story about yeah. the book banning bill that would ban books that are damaging to protected classes, but not ban books that are written by protected classes, right? That's right. the idea. That's the idea. And as far as appropriateness of content, a difficult question to answer because it, it varies from community to community, from parental wish to parental wish. But I'm telling you, if your kid's old enough to be on the internet or have a phone, Banning anything from the library is not going to keep your kids safe. No, I, and I think, think having these books in a library under the guidance of maybe a librarian well, or I, I just don't understand. Like it might, and we did this back at my high school because there were religious kids that went to my high school and basically the library sent out a sheet to parents and they said, do you want us to not allow your child to check out books from this category, this category, this category, this category. On a person by person, person basis. Person to person basis. Yeah. And they would go down this sheet, the mom and dad, and then they would check whatever box it was, and then they would sign it at the bottom, and then they would bring it back to the library. So it was negotiating with their kids, and then also the librarian knew that if little Jane wanted to check out a book about whatever, that mom and dad, you got to talk to mom and dad before I can 
uh, Ab- releases Absolutely to. right. And then if the Smiths are okay with the Joneses, couldn't ban it from the library because exactly. their kid wasn't ready exactly. for it. That's a great exactly. system. Uh, somebody said, so we're talking about the value of labor, and we were talking about how people are habitually underpaid in the United States, and for some reason, we as Americans are fine with not trying to help out poor people by increasing uh, the amount that they're paid. Nate in Seattle says it's not so much the value of the labor as much as it is the value of the experience. Should a radio host fresh out of broadcasting school make the same as a radio host with five or ten years of experience? So that's an interesting rhetorical device, but unfortunately it's missing part of the premise. Are they hired at the same time? Are they doing the same job? Is one of them the first chair or the second chair? Is one of them on the morning show? Is one of them on the afternoon show? There, are, There's a lots of different variables that come in here. All things being equal, yes. If they're hired for the sh- same show at the same time doing the same labor, they should most certainly be paid the same. Why? Because that's the system that we do on this show because it just makes for a healthier working well, environment. Well, and I think, I think this particular performance and the, any performance type activity yeah. is going to be paid on merit. Based on what you can bring to the table and what what kind of audience you can bring, it's not like we've you know you've only been in the business for two years. You got a rookie cap like they have in the NFL. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know, garbage. That, that's yeah, trash. That's, that's that trash. our industry doesn't fall to that. Right. But uh, you know we don't pay people enough money. I mean, come on. If if corporate profits yeah. are at an all time high and stockholders are doing just great, the Dow is still over thirty eight thousand. Right. And people can't afford to pay rent and buy food and buy medications. We're not paying enough. Dude, guy says this one guy writes in. He said, "What's the value of labor? Give me a number. I I don't know. Give me a number on a human life. What's a human life worth? Hundred thousand dollars? Hundred fifty thousand dollars? A million dollars? You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you when people try to say." Give me an arbitrary value amount on on X, Y, or Z. I will default back to what's a human life worth. I happen to think that it's worth a whole lot more than seven dollars twenty five cents an hour. We'll take a really quick break when we get back. John Curley stepping into the hot seat with a little bit of the old national news because John is just deeply upset about what Donald what John Trump said about the NATO ally that he pressured into conforming. I mean, this John is just up. Also, Super Bowl ad and, and Bobby Kennedy. We talked about this yeah, a little bit. Yeah, the Kennedy ad on Super Bowl Sunday flipped me out I a little bit. I cringed so hard when I saw that. I physically snapped in half. We'll talk about it with Mr. Curley when we get back right after this.